Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Um, I'm excited to talk to you guys today. It seems like it's been forever. It's uh, what a little after 1230 Monday night. I just got back from the airport. I was in Montana for the last while and uh, I haven't recorded a show since Friday because there was no post-game podcast because there was no game. Um... It's so good to be back, though, because all of my thoughts have been backed up and just jumbled together. This 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 show might be a bit of a maze, but uh, I'm excited. I've got my real Montana beef jerky in bed with me here where I'm recording this podcast. I got a big glass of water with some, uh, I think it was the Blackberry Lemonade Mio. That's that stuff that you like squirt in it and it gives it flavor. And apparently it's healthy, but I think it's one of those things where we just think it's healthy now, but in 30 years, they're going to have the science to be like, oh, wait, actually, no. Kind of like vaping. I'm against that. And also cigarettes, you know, were kind of the famous example of that. But okay, back to the point. And actually, before we get to the point, I do need to tell you about uh, Drift Car Sharing, which is an incredible service, one that I still have not taken advantage of. And because of that... We I guess we don't need to get into the specifics of my parking bill, uh, not parking ticket this time, which is nice, but uh, my parking bill, which was a lot more than $0, which is what I would have paid had I just dropped my car off at the drift lot and uh, let them rent it out for me, and then I would have even made money, plus they would have cleaned it. Um, it's a great service. You guys got to take advantage. If you're going to the airport, just drop it off at the lot. They'll drive you in the shuttle up to the airport and... It's it's like it never even happened. All it takes is like 30 minutes, not even 30 minutes of planning. Most of you guys probably keep your cars in a lot better shape than I do. And uh, then you just got to click on the app and say you're coming. Say you're dropping it off and then you drop it off. And then you got to get on the little shuttle that takes five to 10 minutes to get there. So like 20 minutes to like click through the buttons on the app. And then also to get your car clean. And then you drive out there and it's 10 minutes to get on that shuttle. 10 minutes back. That's what, like 40 minutes total that you're spending using Drift. And uh, you're saving a lot of money. Plus you're making money. And they're cleaning your car and vacuuming it and all that kind of stuff. Um, As somebody who really just blew a big opportunity to make money instead of spending money, I want to tell you to, to use this genuinely and if you want more information go to drivedrift.com and they'll get you all set up with everything you need okay um 
I'm going to try not to spend too much time talking about things that aren't the buffs, but there's a lot to unpack from my weekend that's obviously at the very top of my mind, and also it's kind of late, and I'm a little bit delirious because of the lateness and the traveling and not really knowing where I am. Um, but yeah, let's just jump in with sports, which is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, so here's the deal. The Buffs basketball team played a game tonight, one, one against UC Irvine, a game that I was based on what I've heard very poorly attended. And, uh, Maybe there were like some dry spells. Here's the thing, though. I was on the plane during that basketball game, and so I missed all of it. I've read a bunch of tweets. I've obviously looked through the box score, and uh, we're going to dig into that game a little more tomorrow, which is Tuesday. Um, But I did see the game, of course, on Saturday because it's my job to watch those games, and I I have some notes on that. And we're going to get to some basketball talk. We're also going to talk about soccer because the soccer team is headed to the second round of the NCAA tournament, taking on North Carolina, the second best team in the country. There's there's something like, I think they're 19-1-1 this season. 19 wins, one loss, one draw. Um, that's pretty good. That's uh, really good. Hopefully, they'll have a second loss. I mean, if you just think of the odds, like what? They've lost one of 21 games. That's a bad way to think about it, though, because I'd say there's like a 4% chance the Buffs win. Um, Dark spot to start that off, but it's going to be a tough match. It's going to be a fun match. And you know what? If Colorado plays like they did against Northern Colorado, handling business, the defense looked great. Um, The offense obviously looked great. I think it was a 2-0 lead at half, ends up going to a 6-0 lead. We, we talked a lot about uh, the the problems that the Buffs could have and have had this season. You know, we know we know what the strengths are. The strengths are Taylor Corniak, and it's this defense which is led by J.J. Tompkins. You're using your seniors. They're in, like, the middle of everything. They can kind of control stuff. But you need some help from some of the younger players, and that's what happened on Saturday for Colorado. They played the game at Prentup in Boulder. Um I streamed it on Sling on my way to a football game. We're going to talk about that football game later. I'm going to tie Montana football into Buffs football, which is a thing that I did a lot this summer and got some negative complaints. But uh, I guess all complaints are negative. But uh, I think I learned some things and I pulled some things. Um, And one of the biggest things is that football can be fun to watch. Um, And uh, we'll dig into that later on, though. Okay. Back to finish this thought, though, for the first time this show, which has been a bit of a whirlwind, um, out of the rhythm of starting a thought, finishing a thought instead of jumping around. But we have like a couple minutes to get there. Here we go. Soccer. We saw what we needed to see. Six goals. Six different goal scores. Um, six different assisters. I don't know if I, I don't like that word, but uh, yeah, six different players with assists, six different players with goals. You had production coming from all sorts of different directions. They looked so, so good. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was just fun to watch that soccer team do what they were doing earlier in the season when you saw the defense and you saw the offense. It seems like recently it's kind of been one or the other. And the thing about 
defense in soccer is that it just takes this one slip up and then and then the floodgates open and and we saw that against north or northern colorado first unc not the next unc which is going to be a little bit more of a challenge but we saw how in in the same way that not montana colorado has been burned in the past giving up a goal and then having to press to try to make up that goal and leaving things open on the back end to give up more goals. Um, that's what happened against Stanford. North or Colorado looked really good against Stanford, especially early on. I mean, Stanford controlled the pace of play. Stanford had the ball. They, they had not more chances, but they had more opportunities to build chances than Colorado did. And that's because Colorado just sat back, didn't let anything in the box, and tried to play his low-scoring game, draw fouls, and kick the ball up ahead and see if you could make a run when you get the opportunity with a couple girls you leave up top. But then you you make a couple mistakes, um, giving up the PK. All of a sudden, you're down a goal. You have to press. Things open up on the back end. And you let the best team in the country look like the best team in the country um what what Colorado did against Stanford was really good and you could see how that that formula could work it's just all defense and you hope that on one of your few opportunities when you kick it ahead to Taylor Korniak one of the best players in the country she can either get something on goal herself or draw off attention to facilitate something for somebody else. But you know that those opportunities are just going to be kind of rare um, against Stanford. And I'm talking about the Stanford game because Stanford is the number one team in the country. And the closest thing that Colorado has played to what they'll play this week against North Northern Colorado Um Sorry, against North Carolina. This WNC thing is really throwing me off. Um, and I, it's I, it's it's not that you're really playing scared as much as it's just understanding how the game has to go for you to win. As soon as you give any space to the offensive players for some of these really good teams, they're just going to take over. I mean, that's what, that's what happened for Stanford in the first round. Um, some people are really mad that they kept playing so hard in the first round of the tournament. They played Prairie View A&M, um, famously not a soccer powerhouse, and Stanford won 15-0 in a soccer match. It's, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Um, that's, that's what happens when you let these teams start scoring. Um, Katarina Macario, by the way, in that game, that number one player in the country, she's won the last couple national player of the year awards. Danny Sanchez, the Buffs soccer coach says that she should have won the year before that too. Um, she put up 13 points in that game. She had four goals and five assists in one soccer game. Um, the highlights are just incredible. Um, back to the point though, cause we are kind of wandering. Nobody here really cares about soccer or not soccer about, um, Stanford women's soccer at this point. But um, the, the idea is having played Stanford, I, I think that that really does give an edge to Colorado because they saw that the strategy worked. Sure, they ended up losing that game 4-0, but they were 
in it. Everything was going well until they get that penalty called and all of a sudden they're down 1-0. And from there you have to start pressing because you need a goal. You can't just keep playing 0-0-0-0-0-0 all the way through overtime into a shootout and just hope that one of the times you get the ball ahead that somebody makes something good happen. You're just trying to cut all of the opportunities down to zero for both sides by just playing defense instead of allowing, you know, if if you were just to play straight up soccer, you you give Stanford 30 scoring opportunities compared to the five or six you generate. But if you sit everybody back, both those numbers just cut in half, cut in half until all of a sudden there aren't many left, aren't too many goals or too many shots that need to be stopped. That's what Colorado is going to be trying to do against North Carolina this week. That practice hopefully pays off. I think that there's a good chance that it does. And and again, that doesn't mean I necessarily think that Colorado will win. That, that'd be a very bold pick. I don't think anybody's going to be taking Colorado in this matchup. But there's the opportunity. And Colorado is a team that is built to pull upsets in these situations. When you have the star who can score, when you have the back line that can stop pretty much anybody. Um, we're going to focus on some basketball stuff pretty heavily tomorrow after I have a chance to go back and watch this game. And because, you know, it, it's kind of tough talking about a basketball or really anything when you've seen two of the three games, um, you're missing a third of the whole picture. But there are some key takeaways that we can dig into right now. Um, on Friday's show, I previewed the first game against San Diego, which was that was Saturday night. Um, and then uh, obviously they played UC Irvine uh, tonight, Monday night, and won both, won both by pretty wide margins. Uh, won 69-53 tonight, 71-53 against San Diego. They look good. They were in control. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to focus on this weekend, though, uh, for those of you who were able to watch both games, is uh, the three-point shooting. Because what we saw against Arizona State wasn't necessarily bad. And again, we don't need to dig too deep into stuff that we've already said, but you know, when you're in China, it's the first game of the year, all these different things. It's tough to really read too much into what happened. But what we saw was a couple of the guys made a whole bunch of the threes. The three-point scoring wasn't spread out. Um, only, I mean, Deshaun Schwartz made three, Maddox Daniels made two, Lucas Seward made one, and that was it. Against San Diego we saw an improvement. We saw three-pointers being made across the board. Uh, We saw them convert 45.8% of their three-pointers. Again, that number isn't sustainable, and I really pushed toward getting to that number in that Friday podcast. And you can see the path because there will be so many open threes in this offense. You just need to show that you can have games like this, and that's what Colorado has done since that Arizona State game, 45.8% against San Diego. And then when they take on UC Irvine, make 47.4%, even improve upon that. This is such a great sign. Um, It shows that this offense can be more dynamic 
uh, that that you don't necessarily need McKinley Wright getting to the basket and scoring, and you you don't need to rely on Evan Batty's little touch game around around the rim. You don't need to rely so heavily on Tyler Bay being able to get to the rim. All these inside scoring things, those are great. That's like the the basis of your offense is getting these consistent good looks inside. That's how basketball has been played for forever. Um, but when you can stretch the defense, that makes it all a lot easier. When you compact the defense by going at the rim and you set up open threes and you can knock those down, that just makes this offense almost impossible to defend. And and that's really the biggest thing that was missing last year. Again, I have I've only had time to go back and watch a bunch of highlights. I haven't been able to like sit and just watch game after game after game. But that's what was so obvious is that you you get the inside scoring, whether it's in the, in the post a little bit or whether it's people driving the pick and roll, that kind of stuff. Adding in this three point shooting just makes this look like a team that can beat anybody. And that's the other thing about three-point shooting, and you see it in the NCAA tournament every year. Some no-name school gets hot from three in the first round of the tournament and beats a team that they aren't supposed to beat. Colorado doesn't need to rely on getting super hot to win a game in the NCAA tournament. They need to get super hot from three to win a game in the Sweet 16. And the Elite Eight. And, and now we're starting to see that that is something that is on the table for this team. You're not always going to get these nights. It's not going to be 47%, 45% every single time. It's going to probably hover what around, I mean, 40 would be pretty good. You'll have some lows and some highs, but just knowing that those highs are there raises the ceiling so much higher than having a dominant inside scoring offense can. Um, and that's what's so exciting is seeing this is a team that does have that gear to it. Um, more importantly, when you look through, um, and this is the point that I really wanted to make, you know, we talked about how a lot of the three-point shooting was coming from, I mean, really two players with Lucas Seward also throwing one in the Arizona State game. A lot of people missing threes. Against San Diego, that wasn't the case. Uh, Evan Batty, one of two. Deshaun Schwartz, two of three. Lucas Seward, three of five. Maddox Daniels, one of three. Shane Gatling, two of four. Those are all good numbers. Um, you also have 0 of two from McKinley Wright, 0 for two from Dalen Koontz. Again, small sample size. Everybody else is shooting at least, what, 33%, the rest 50% or better. It was a very hot shooting night. The best part, Tyler Bay who was two of three from three uh, after going 0 for 4 against Arizona State. He'd been working on three-point shooting all summer, and it finally paid off. Um, 0 for 1 tonight against UC Irvine. I don't necessarily think that this is the strength of his game at this point, but just adding that in is so big, is so big, and it just makes him more diverse when your best player can add an aspect, I, I mean, that's kind of weird. Not necessarily Colorado's best player. Their best player is probably McKinley Wright. He's in the conference MVP conversation, all that kind of stuff. But Tyler Bay is a guy who is your best NBA prospect. He has maybe the most physical ability. When he can add another aspect to his game 
and not only spread out the floor for everybody else by getting to the rim, but also s- spread the f- floor floor for himself by uh, sitting back at the three-point line, catching the ball at the three-point line, and being defended at the three-point line before trying to get to the rim. There, Even if you don't have the ball, even if you're cutting from outside and you have to have the guy right there, Again, we, we talk about this in football all the time, how you know running routes is a race to one point, and the offensive player knows where that point is. That's the advantage. Uh, it's the same thing in basketball, where when you're driving to the rim, it's a race there. When you're cutting, trying to get the ball, it's a race there. And if you can get that extra step by pulling the defender a step outside toward the three-point line, that's massive. That's so, so huge. Um, and Tyler Bay is adding that to his game, which is really exciting. Uh, tied for the team high with 16 points tonight. There you go. That's that's a good number for him. Um, put up 14 the night before. He's doing it efficiently. Not that he was ever the concern, but it's good to see him get off to a solid start. Um, let's just run through these numbers. McKinley Wright, 2 of 4 from 3. Dalen Kuntz, 2 of 3 from 3. Uh, Deshaun Schwartz, two of four from three. Uh, Maddox Daniels was one of one. Shane Gatling was one of two. Eli Parquet was uh, one of one. You just have so many dynamic players on the floor. Um, Here's the takeaway from the first three games of the season. That's that Colorado is better than I expected. And I was really excited to see him play, but again, I thought UC Irvine, I thought that that could be a competitive game. It's definitely exciting that it wasn't, but on paper, you saw how this could kind of go either way. Uh, Colorado up to number 23 in the rankings. Who do they play this week? I just realized, I don't know. Oh, that's right. They play Wyoming on Sunday and that's it. So again, that's a that's a game that they should win. They should make another little jump in the standings, being another tournament team in UC Irvine or in the rankings, not in the standings. Um, I think that that's most of my shallow basketball takes. I want to talk about the three point shooting. Um, also, on the other side, one of the other things that I did, I we can go through all three of those. We're going a little bit long in the first segment, but I, who cares? It's, <laughs> um, only only seven turnovers tonight. That's way down after Colorado struggled with turnovers in each of the first two games. I think 17 in the first game, 15 in the second. Um, That's too many. That's something that I identified on the podcast as something I wanted to see them improve. Uh, They picked up the three-point shooting in the first game back. They picked up the turnovers in the second game back. Um, And then the other thing I really identified was the free-throw shooting, which... Eh, you know, uh, still room to improve. Maybe that's what's next up. Uh, made two thirds in the in the last game, and then seventy percent tonight. There's there's still a little room for improvement, but that's into that acceptable zone where you aren't. It's almost there. It's almost there. Okay, uh, that is going to do it for basketball and soccer talk. Uh, it's time for some football talk, but first I want to tell you about. Breckenridge Brewery, and in particular, 
I want to tell you about my favorite beer from Breckenridge Brewery, the Strawberry Sky. It's such a good beer. I know I hype it up all the time, but it is my favorite. I think that like if if there was like a massive refrigerator with every different beer in it, that would be the one that I grab like nine times out of ten, like any beer from anywhere. Um, partly because I'm kind of boring and I'm not into trying a bunch of new things, but also just because I think that most people who've tried it would agree that it's just a very good beer. Um, it's a Kolsch ale, a word that I almost understand. And what I know about Kolsch ales is that they're very soft and mellow and the strawberry sky pairs it with a strawberry puree that isn't overpowering and just makes for delicious beer. Um, if you want to try it, get on the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website and it will tell you where you can find the Strawberry Sky or any other beer, the Avalanche, Colorado Core, Hot Peak, all these different options. Um, check them out. They're local. They support us and we want to support them too. Uh, also would like to tell you about the Denver Rubber Company, which started in 1972 in Denver and has been the most reliable partner for any any of your rubber needs ever since. Um, they can do anything from working in pharmaceuticals to the military to electronics, anything you need rubber. They have a whole bunch of different types of rubber that they can use, um, and, and they'll work with you to design the product you need. If, if you aren't looking for a large order, you just need, uh, like, snow plows is one of the things that they're known for. They, they can just cut it to fit perfectly um, for what you need. You can head out to their uh, their facilities and they'll get you set up with that. Um, AJ was telling us on the draft podcast last week that they do like the snowmobile tires, but unlike other snowmobile tire manufacturers, they make them double-sided. So when the tread starts to wear out, you just flip them around inside out and get more run out of them. So it's a great deal. Uh, that's the type of stuff that you can get there. Um, they do the same things everybody else does, but better. And that's kind of the theme of all of the local partners that we pair with here. Um, if you want more information, uh, you can go to drcfirst.com slash dnvr. Uh, and definitely check them out if you have any rubber needs. Okay, uh, some football talk. And there's one thing in particular that I really noticed. So, like I said, uh, I was in Montana this weekend and did a bunch of really cool things. Like, see all my friends, see my family. Um, saw, saw like 150 buffaloes today on my way back to the airport. Just a whole herd of buffaloes out there. And they were big ones. Um, like Ralphie, obviously, big buffalo. But also you see these other buffaloes, like the male buffaloes, and ugh, it's just, just massive. That's not the point, though. That's not what's important. Ugh, I did so many fun things. I, I, I took a girl out to breakfast. So, like, if you see me sometime and want to give me, like, a high five, I'd appreciate that. Um, they, we had crepes. There were crepes, except they weren't really crepes. They were just like, 
pancakes that were rolled up like a crepe with Nutella inside, whipped cream on top. Like Montanans do a lot of things really well, specifically like meat. Like you can grow huckleberries. Had a huckleberry cake my mom made. So good. Uh, But things like crepes, something delicate and foreign, kind of hit or miss. Definitely kind of hit or miss. Um, But yeah, I went on a date with the girls. That was pretty cool. But also uh, that was game day. That was football day. And that whole city was just buzzing with football fans. I hyped this up a bunch of the last couple of weeks. It was the three versus four matchup in FCS football, which is like Division One. It used to be like Division One AA, and FBS was Division One A. But then they went FBS, FCS, and then you have like Division Two, II, Division Three, all that stuff underneath. Um, but yeah, it was like a huge matchup with just a couple weeks to go. It's going to do a lot to decide a bunch of things. And it was just so much fun. Like being out there, like random second quarter, second down, you know, not like deep on one side of the field or the other, but everybody in the entire stadium is standing and screaming like all 26,000 people are just screaming for a random second down in the second quarter. And that's just how the game goes. Like everybody is totally invested in every play. Like people aren't sitting down and like I was in the student section. And so definitely, obviously nobody is sitting down there, but the entire stadium, everybody is just going insane. And that's what football is supposed to be. And that's not something that I've seen from Colorado this year. Uh, For a bunch of different reasons. Obviously, it isn't the same quality matchup. Like, I mean, they're playing like USC and Stanford instead of Weber State. So there's a little step up in competition there. But in terms of the stakes, they just aren't quite as high for Colorado fans at this point. And so to see that, and it's also going to a bunch of Bronco games this year when things are bleak out there, like it's just not rowdy. And so to go out and see what that looks like, it's just so exciting. And that's one of the things that I really took away is that Colorado fans have been really good this year. Like really, really good. I, I heard that people were pretty upset about the basketball showing tonight. But they're what one of eight teams in the country that's averaging more than 100% attendance. The fact that they're filling that stadium at all is wildly impressive because they aren't winning enough football games to justify filling 50,000 seats, to be honest. Like, that's that's why it's so cool that it's actually happening. You look at the other seven teams, and they're mostly, I think, are they all good football teams? It's like Notre Dame, uh, Utah's on there. They're they're schools that are doing well. Um, Whereas Colorado at four and six, there we go. Hadn't had to pull that record out in a few days. Uh, At four and six just isn't quite competing at a level that you would expect that type of support. I mean, definitely hasn't been the rowdiest crowd, which was the point that I was making earlier, but I don't know. That was kind of my train of thought where like I get into the stadium and obviously like, Oh, we've been hitting the tailgates, but you get into the stadium and everybody's like screaming. I've never seen that place so loud. 
everybody's just going crazy. I'm thinking like, wow, this is so much fun to be a part of. I guess late in the Nebraska game, you had some of that at Colorado, definitely late in the Nebraska game. But even then, like, there were a lot of Nebraska fans there, and that does nullify it a little bit. And But that's what was in my head. Was I was like, wow, I haven't seen that from the Buffs or the Broncos this year. And then it kind of took me on that trail where I was like, well, of course, they aren't winning as many games. They're, these games don't mean quite as much because of that. And I did like that 180 where it's like, it's actually super impressive that they're getting everything that they do get out of their fans. Um to fill that place, and it sounds like that might not be the case against Washington, which makes sense. You know, again, they've had a great home schedule. It's it's tough to find a reason to miss any of the home games. You know, you, you start with Nebraska. Obviously, that's going to be packed. Uh, the next home game is against Air Force for a football team that's 2-0 and at that point and an in-state rival, so you're going to have some people coming up from Colorado Springs. Uh, then after that, it was Arizona. You're 3-1 and one at that point with wins over Nebraska and uh, a, a ranked opponent on the road against Arizona State. And so it makes sense that people are excited and want to get out to that game. After that, you have USC, uh, a night game, which I've actually heard aren't as well attended. Those, I guess Friday night games would be different because you have all the high school games that are going on around the state. Um, some people who might come down typically might stay back to watch high school, whether they have kids who are playing or whether it's like support the school, or, you know, all those different things. Plus, if, if you're coming from a ways out and it's a 7 o'clock kickoff and you get off work at 5 and it takes a while to park, then you're definitely not hitting the tailgates. You're probably not having time to go home and change. So I do see how that'd be a tough draw. But also it's USC. And it's cool to get to see USC play. They're USC alumni. And so, again, still Pac-12 after dark USC game. Makes sense that you're able to get some people out there. Probably a little tougher than the others. Um, And then Stanford's homecoming. This Washington game is going to be interesting there's more tickets available now than there have been for any of the other games at this point this season um i, th- I think i heard somebody was telling oh maybe somebody tweeted actually so take this with a grain of salt but somebody tweeted that season ticket holders are getting the option to get a couple more tickets um which is a sign that they don't think it's going to sell out which would make sense again you don't expect them to sell out this game. 50,000 seats is a lot of seats. The team is still alive for the postseason, but Washington, last I checked, was a 14.5-point favorite in this game, so it's not a game that you really expect to win. Um, and then it, the line's going to be worse than that against Utah the week after, and you have to win both of those to get in. So like, definitely postseason alive by the math but also yeah it's gonna be tough uh you you'd hope that you know steven montez's last game at Folsom, lavisca schnaltz last game at Folsom, would be a bit of a draw but we'll see we'll we'll see what happens it'd just be so cool for this season to end with a packed stadium you know be able to be one of the eight teams that's 
averaging over 100% for the entire season, even though all of these things are happening. Um, you're losing football games, I guess is what I'm saying is happening, and you're losing them in ways that are just disheartening. They're all either, you know, the close loss to Arizona State, uh, or not to Arizona State, to Air Force. Those two-word A, it's getting kind of late. Um, but yeah, the close loss to Air Force, a team that you should probably beat. And again, if you guys have been listening to the podcast since that Air Force game, you know I don't take that team lightly. lightly. But again, a team that you probably should beat. And then USC, that's a painful loss. Not a team you should beat, but that almost makes it worse that you were that close. On the road, you have the Oregon loss. You have uh, the Washington State loss, uh, that UCLA loss. Those just hurt. Those make it tough to have hope. Okay, this got really sad again, and that's not where I wanted to take this, but where the, the whole point of this segment was supposed to be, there's an opportunity for Colorado to end this season this is 100% on the table. End this season with a 4-8 and eight record and have one of the best attendance rates in all of college football. That would be so cool, and it would speak volumes about CU fans and how much they care. So hopefully people show up. Hopefully people get out there and support um, Steven Montez in the last game, uh, LaVisca Chenault in the last game. We'll see. It's It's going to be an interesting storyline for sure. Um, another football note, and this is something that I probably should have saved for this late, but I knew that I had a lot to say about uh the soccer team and the basketball team, and that is that uh Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback from the Colony High School, which is still the greatest name for high school, committed to the University of Colorado today. Uh, is a four star. Uh, he becomes the second highest rated recruit for Colorado this year behind Ashad Clayton, according to the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings, the composite rankings. It's so big. You know, he's had a great senior season. He's shutting down everybody. Uh, lots of talk is him as maybe the best defensive back in high school football in Texas this year. Very highly rated in Texas, which again, tough, tough place to play football famously high school football in texas um same high school as keith miller the receiver that had to help gonzalez was committed to purdue uh dropped that commitment and is going to boulder that's a huge win uh and again it stems from that stanford game he was on the sideline along with a clayton the number one recruit in the class that was such a huge day uh also lost the commitment of stacy sneed he was, what? I think he might have been a top 10 recruit for the Buffs in this recruiting class. He was a running back, obviously same position as Ashad Clayton, and that may have bumped him out, um, may have cut his interest just a little bit. Uh, so yeah, big win. This is, I think 24-7 Sports might have it as a top 30 class now. I think it's definitely a top 35 class in college football. And they're not done. They've still got more guys announcing. It could be more next week. Um, I really think that there could be more next week. Uh, and, you know, there could be decommits too, and other schools are still recruiting. But 
things are going well. Things are going well. Again, Antonio Alfano does not factor in to any of these ratings since he was part of the 2019 class, the number one prospect in that class. It's going well. And it's going well because people are showing up to Folsom, and hopefully they do that on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and I think we have at least one comment, uh, and I'll pull that up while you guys listen to Ryan. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay. Uh, like I said, one comment, and it's from B Mixer, who says, top three CU moment in Boulder so far. Oh, so that's calling back to Friday's podcast when I was kind of like, getting hyped about that soccer game and I'm still really upset that I missed it. That would have been so much fun to be at. But um, I said that that was a top three moment for CU sports so far this season, like in terms of events to go to um, NCAA tournament game. I don't, that's not even like that hot of a take to be honest, but B mixer has his own takes Uh, top three CU moment in Boulder. So far, the Nebraska game is number one by a lot. I don't think you can argue with that at all. Uh, Corniak breaking the record and the CU Texas soccer game with the crazy ending has to be my top three. I think, I think that that's a good call. That was yeah breaking the record. That Texas game was when we realized that the soccer team was actually like for real. They weren't just beating up on teams that you know were like all right. I think Texas was ranked at that time. They were either just coming off the win against Baylor or about to beat Baylor, uh, another ranked team. That's when everything kind of shifted. Um, Yeah, I think top three still makes sense. Um, There's going to be a lot with this basketball team, though. There are going to be a lot of big moments. You know, even the Stanford game, you could almost factor it in as one of the three biggest just because it was so big recruiting-wise. Even if on the field, and I guess it was a good game on the field too, it might be up there. It might be up there toward the top, Um, especially if you are watching it thinking about the recruiting impacts. You know, the rule when we were talking about this was it had to be sporting events, so I don't think you could say like that Monday after when the commits were coming in and everybody was tweeting stuff. Chev was tweeting stuff. The recruiting coordinators were tweeting stuff. There was like hype all over. I don't think that can count, but that does definitely stem from that Stanford game. And I'm not sure if that factors in, uh, moving on though. Uh, unless you have heard differently, Katie will be back. So he and Stanley will be there. And one of the others has to step up. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't bank too much on Katie coming back. 
yeah, uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. It would make a lot of sense to me for him to come back. I don't think that he will be, I mean, he's not going to be like a high priority guy in the draft. He's, there are just so many receivers around the country. Again, you, you, you watch Montana. How did this not come up? But uh, yeah, Montana beat down Weber State. They were up like 21-3 a couple minutes in, ended up winning 40-something to 17 or something like that. Just blew them out. And their receivers, Samori Toure, caught, I guess I don't know how many passes, but for like 198 yards and three touchdowns. He's a guy who looks like he could be an NFL guy. But I've been fooled by these Montana receivers so many times, seeing them take over an FCS and... You know, turn out to be just like a guy who makes a roster for a couple of years and then disappears in the NFL. There are just so many receivers all over. Same thing with cornerbacks. It's really hard to make that leap because, like, sure, Colorado's receivers, it's a good group. It's not what we expected at the beginning of the season for a couple of different reasons. But when you look around at the other teams, there, there are a lot of guys who you could see making a run at the NFL and Katie's one of those guys and it definitely might work out for him. And there are a lot of reasons to think that it would, you know, it definitely doesn't help that he's the size that he is, but he's, he's dynamic. He does a lot of things. Well, he's made a couple mistakes this year and that's why it would really benefit him to come back for another year and put on tape all of the skills that he has. Because right now, you know, the drops are hurting him. Um, the lack of production is really hurting him. And he's not going to get a, the same look that he would get if things had gone differently or if he decides to come back for one more year. At the same time, I would still bet that he uh, bets on himself, is how I'm going to put it, um, and, and goes to the draft and likely signs as an undrafted free agent uh, this spring. Again, nothing's set in stone, but we'll kind of see how everything plays out. Um, he goes on, what Hauk is remembered for as being a bad coach, roll out punts from CU's end zone that went 10 yards and flipping off the CU fans while he coached here. Uh, Bobby Hauk, head coach of Montana, FCS coaching legend, uh, he'll be in like, I don't know if there's an FCS hall of fame. I think it, no, they, there's definitely like the college football hall of fame. Dave Dickinson, the quarterback for Montana in the nineties got enshrined this season, but, uh, he might not be remembered fondly in Colorado, but he's like one of the winningest coaches in FCS football history with, I guess he still hasn't gotten a national title, but that seems like it could be on the way here pretty soon. Uh, interesting that, Buffs fans don't like him though. The rollout punts from CU's end zone because he was known as like a special teams guy for forever, and even like was with San Diego State up until two years ago as their special teams coordinator when they were winning all of the special teams awards. You know they they had all the stats, longest kick return average, kick coverage, all that kind of stuff. I guess that was a long time ago. He was a Colorado. He's probably gotten a little better. Flipping off the CU fans, I could see a young Bobby doing that. Um, I think the O-line will be all right. 
I do not think the learning curve will be as huge as it was last year. I agree. I do agree. Um, I think that just having guys who have been in this system have been taking in Coach Cap's coaching for a full season will really help. Uh, he's he's a coach who can really develop players. It's disappointing to me that Tim Lanott is leaving and uh, Arlington Hambrite is leaving because I think that they can both be NFL guys and I think they would really help them to spend more time with Cap. You know, if Cap had just come in a year before, I could see both of their draft stock jumping up a round or two um, versus this universe that we live in where he just showed up this year. Um, that's the kind of regard that I hold uh, Chris Kapilovic in. And I think that, obviously, having guys who have spent this year under him and will start next year should help. It should definitely help. Uh, it's definitely a reason to be excited the fact that this offensive line is improving throughout the season, as I've said before, is a reason to be excited. Sometimes you have a bad group and it stays a bad group, and that typically means that you have a bad coach. You want to see improvement uh, in, in every position group, in every player, really, throughout the season, and I, I think that that improvement has probably been most obvious uh, along that offensive line. I'm probably not quarterback, Maybe running backs, but even then, Alex Fontenot started the year hot. Receivers, no. Uh, the secondary on the defensive side of the ball could uh, give you a run for your money. But again, a lot of that is just young players playing really well in limited opportunities. We really haven't seen Tariq Luckett grow as a player just because he wasn't on the field early on. He's just looked good in a few opportunities. If you're saying best coaching job... I think that you could definitely point at these cornerbacks and, and the way that all these freshmen are performing when they shouldn't be on the field in the first place. Definitely a great coaching job, maybe the best on the team. But in terms of just improvement throughout a group throughout the year, I think it has to be along that offensive line. And that's what you expect from a veteran coach who knows what he's doing. That's what good coaches do. They don't let the, the same problems that affect them early in the season affect them late in the season. You just keep building and keep growing, and by the end of the year, you're you're playing your best football. That's what you want to see. But you look at other teams like, I don't know, the Broncos. I don't know if that's a good example. But, but again, where you don't see that improvement... That just means they're not being coached well. That means you're not being coached well. Chris Kapilovic is coaching them well, and he, he, he'll he be starting from a better spot next year because all these guys will have been learning the techniques he's been teaching. Um, the chemistry will take some time to build. We'll expect them to, you know, take a step back to start the season and then build and maybe even build past the point that they are right now. Just have to see it play out. Um... Maybe a grad transfer spot. Huh. I don't know. Well, um, there will be plenty of time in the offseason to talk about that kind of stuff. But uh, let's keep going with the comment. I do... Oh, to me, the offense will hinge on the consistency of the quarterback, whomever that is. Yep. I think that that's... I think that's reasonable. I think that that's honestly what this football team has been this year with Steven Montez at quarterback they've pretty much won the games he's played well in and they haven't won the games they hasn't played well in. I think that there's some weird stats out there, but 
that's at least according to the eye test, that's what's happening. Um, and, and maybe like USC, he played pretty well and they didn't win. But in reality, just keeping it that close with USC is probably a win. Uh, that's, that's what they need next year. Just all good Steven. And that's the thing is I don't know that you're going to get good Steven all that often, but you just have to hope you don't get bad Steven very often just because the ceiling for whoever's the quarterback probably won't be as high as Steven Montez is, in, is on a week-to-week basis or like a play-to-play basis. But you don't want all the lows. If you can cut out the lows with whoever's next, and that's rare with a college quarterback, uh, really rare. That That would be nice. I'm excited to see Brendan Lewis. I'm not sure if he's the guy. I haven't heard that he's like the guy. But like I said on Friday, I think that he has to be the favorite to to take the starting job next year. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, for basketball, I do not want to see Bay shoot four three-pointers. I'd like to see Wright shoot a little more and him a little less from outside the line. Yeah, I've been surprised that McKinley Wright hasn't been shooting more. Um, I thought that he was a good enough shooter to be shooting more. Again, they're getting threes up from a bunch of different guys, and they're all converting. Not really a need at this point to have him shoot more. If if he could do it, then sure, why not? Stretch the floor even more. Um, but you're seeing guys, Dalen Kuntz, Deshaun Schwartz, uh, Maddox Daniels actually hasn't been great, or at least not tonight. I think he was 0 for 1 tonight but you know that he can shoot and is probably their best shooter. You just have so many guys, it isn't that concerning. Um, base shooting four three-pointers was a bit much, probably, but if they're leaving him open, he's got to take them. Uh, also, I think in the first game, that might have been just to prove a point. It might have been Tyler wanting to show everybody that he is now a three-point shooter, um, that, that that needs to be respected so that going forward he will be played out to the three-point line. Um, when, when he has the ball at the three-point line, I don't. I, I think he would rather have somebody on him than have a guy sitting back. You know, he doesn't want to be given that three-pointer. He wants to have a better angle to drive. Uh, that would be my guess. That's still where his game is. And I think particularly early in the season, you have to throw up some threes to get teams to respect that. Um, I mean, <laughs> you think back to that podcast afterward when I was saying, you know, just the fact that he's shooting them means that he thinks he can make them. That's a good sign, even if he isn't making any of the four three-pointers he shot in the first game. Uh, that was my takeaway. That was other teams' takeaway, too. We've seen that number decrease, which I agree is probably a good thing. But... uh it might have been as strategic as much as it was anything else. Plus, I mean, you would think that naturally, uh, when the book on him is that he doesn't shoot three-pointers, the first game of the season, if he can shoot three-pointers, he's going to get some open looks from three, and he's going to shoot those. Uh, and naturally, those would be cut down as teams just see him play. Could also have been a mind game. Uh, yeah, love the three-pointers. Love the three-pointers. Love how good this team is looking excited to get up to boulder let's see it's like 1 30 now excited to get up to boulder tomorrow morning for media availability get through all that stuff i'm not sure who we're talking to tomorrow um i'll get back here and watch that basketball game i'm excited about that too excited to be back in boulder uh 
I guess I'm in Denver now, but Colorado. We can just call it Colorado after going back to Montana. Um, good trip. There's a lot of fun stuff going around here, though, and I missed a lot of it, and I'm pretty upset about it. Uh, I think that's it for today. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of things I want to talk about, but none of them are related to the buffs, and so I should probably not. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with a show after I watch that basketball game. We'll dig into that. We'll start talking about Washington. Um, it's going to be a good week. Good week for the buffs. Good week for DNVR buffs. Glad you're listening. And uh, leave a comment on the show for today, and we can talk about that tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Bye. I think they like my Colorado See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey. Hey. And you on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, man I swear I think they like my Colorado swag.